All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You go right on your back having to get you, Barbara. Hey everybody, and welcome to Oh the Horror. I'm your host, Rob Holmes, and today we're going to be talking about a film that came out recently. In fact, it came out in 2020. It is The Invisible Man, written and directed by Lee Wanell. This was pretty good. I gotta say, I, I genuinely enjoyed this take on The Invisible Man. We've seen it done before with, you know, the, the classic Universal pictures, The Invisible Man, but also with films like Hollow Man which was fun. This, this was cool, man. I, I really enjoyed where this went because it wasn't focused on the invisible man. It was focused on his victim. You know, uh, it was focused on, you know, his ex who was, you know, this victim of this abusive relationship. So you're following Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss's character around the entire time. And it's a thriller. Because we don't really know much about the Invisible Man. Even his his backstory is pretty much hidden from us directly. Like, we don't see... Like, this movie's about um, PTSD and physical and emotional abuse and being in an awful relationship and trying to escape, but always feeling like that person is there. And in this case, he is. You know, he's not going to let her go. And I think that's what makes this really effective. The reasoning has always been there with this person being super controlling. Like why he is the way he is. He's always been that way. The device, instead of being driven mad by being invisible, he's already... He's already there. He's already crazy. I mean, he's, he's you know, an absolutely horrible human being to... Uh, to Cecilia, which, you know, we, we find this out throughout as, as it's brought in to light more of some of the, the events that have happened in this relationship. But when we start this film, we're seeing her wake up uh, at his house. You know, they live together. And it's, a, it's this mansion. Like, so Adrian Griffin is the um, invisible man character he is this wealthy optics engineer who in the beginning we don't really even know what what the hell is going on she's just waking up and just trying to get the hell out of this place but you know that something's wrong she's afraid to wake him up so you know right away that there's this abusive relationship it doesn't even need to be spelled out to you you can just tell the way that elizabeth elizabeth moss is acting in this film she's fantastic like her performance is amazing the way that she just Everything is just has everything has an effect in this film and you can see that this is is something where she really immerses herself into this role and It's extremely believable and a lot of other films where they're you know, the protagonist is being antagonized by you know, the antagonist uh, and They're being stalked or whatever and you know, they're they're Oh, this is terrible. This is happening to me. Yup I'm gonna go about my day now like everything's okay 
in this, everything is affecting her. Like, right away, she she knows. She knows what he does for a living. She knows he works in optics. She, first off, she she's trying to escape, right? Let me let me get back to that. She, she escapes. She gets out of this mansion, out of this complex, and is able to get to her sister's car. Like, she told her sister to meet her uh, outside. And she gets there, and Adrian has woken up by this point because her escape isn't as smooth as she had originally planned for it to be. It's one thing after another. She kicks the dog's food bowl on her way out, and that makes noise. Then the dog comes out, barks, I think, and that makes noise. And then she accidentally bumps the car, and then the car alarm goes off. So now it's it's not going to be a clean escape. It's a mad dash. And that's kind of what she has to do this entire movie. Well, eventually there is that clean escape. But... But everything up until that is this crazy mad dash of trying to get a step ahead but not being able to. So, she escapes and she gets to her sister's car. Adrian's very fast because he chases, gets to that car. Uh, She's drugged him with diazepam. But this guy has woken up at this point and punches through the window, like, pretty quickly. So you know that there's obviously massive anger issues with this guy. And she's already afraid, so... It just further emphasizes that point. Unfortunately, she drops the diazepam, and you see Adrian pick that up with his bloody hand. So now she's going to hide out with her uh, childhood friend, who happens to now be a detective, uh, who is played by Aldous Hodge, who you may know from the show Leverage. Or you might not, but he was on the show Leverage, and that's where I remember him from. So he's in this, and then his daughter is played by Storm Reed. And it seems like, you know, they have a really good relationship. You can see the relationship totally, this different dynamic with how she is when she's around James and Sydney. And there's this, there's still this anxiety with her. And and you can see like right away, it's like, all right, she's there, but she's still terrified because she's like, no matter what, he's going to find me. He's going to find me. Like this is, she, she has, I mean, really like he must've really done a number on her. Because this is, she's acting like he's going to come and kill her. Like he will never leave her alone type situation. Two weeks go by. And her sister Emily shows up over at James's house. And she freaks out. And you know, Cecilia is just like, Emily, what are you doing here? I told you, like, Adrian's going to find me no matter what. He will find me. Cecilia's like, yeah. Or I mean, Emily's like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And Cecilia's like, what makes you so sure? Emily's like, well, he's dead. He killed himself. So apparently he's committed suicide two weeks later, left this suicide note about how he couldn't deal with it. I guess essentially put some blame on on um, Cecilia, or really more of a guilt trip than anything. Even though it sounds like he's a total piece of shit, it's that whole like, I'm going to make you feel bad about what I did. She doesn't really believe this shit. She's like, I don't think he fucking killed himself. Why would he do that? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You can totally see through this. What's the catch? She gets a call saying that they need her for, like, a reading of the will or something, and they're, they're leaving her... He is leaving her $5 million. Now, it's Adrian's brother, Tom, who is a lawyer, who's handling all these arrangements. And there's all these... All getting the money is contingent, so she gets, what, I think it's $10,000... $10,000 a month or something like that, but it's contingent on the fact that she... No, 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 I'm sorry, it's $100,000 a month... Because then she's going to say, she says to Storm Reed that she's going to put $10,000 a month aside for her to be able to go off to college. Now, it's all contingent on 
the fact that she doesn't get accused of a crime or arrested or anything like that. No legal troubles, and she gets the $5 million over, I think it was like four or five years or something. She starts having these weird experiences at the house and she's thinking like she's she's feeling this presence there and she knows that something's up to her this guy's not dead to her adrian is always there one way or another he really just as i said before he did a number on her i mean you can see this movie really does focus on traumatic abuse in a in a very toxic volatile relationship this is definitely putting it to an extreme level in this film So a bunch of weird events start happening. Um, She has a job interview. She faints. She ends up going to the doctor, and the doctor says that they found a lot of diazepam in her system. And it's at this point that when she goes back home later, she takes a shower. And I know they use some of this in the teaser trailer of there being a a handprint in the house on on the shower. Well, they didn't do that in the film. They cut that, which is good. I think it's a good thing to do in the in the trailer, but it's, I mean, at that point, it's such a giveaway when you actually use it in the film. Uh, they just go with that bloody bottle of diazepam sitting at her bathroom sink after she's walked through the house and goes back into the bathroom, and then it's there. So she knows that Adrian is not dead. She knows this now, and she's already had a, a bunch of instances where... I think there was the, I think we've gotten to the part with the bedroom. I think that happened in the beginning where she is sleeping in the same room with Sydney and something pulls the blanket off of her, right? And then from there, she gets it off the floor, but then something's standing on her. First, she thinks something's there and she tosses it, nothing's there uh, on the chair. But then as she's pulling it, something's standing on it. And then you see these footsteps moving up it. When James comes in because she's screaming, he thinks that she's just had a nightmare and just had a vision or a flashback of some stuff going on, PTSD, but that's not the case. He's really there. So then her suspicions are confirmed when she sees that bottle. She's like, no, this is not, he, he's alive, has a meeting with Tom and says, you know, Adrian is not dead. He's, he's used something. He's an optics, you know, he, he can become invisible now. I don't know how he did it, but he did it because, you know, he's he's an optics engineer. This is what he does. He's the best in his field. He figured out a way to do this, and now he's messing with me. He said he would never leave me alone. He would always find me. And he says, like, it's, it's happening to torment her, but he's like, no, he's dead. I saw the body. Here's pictures of it. She sees these pictures, but she's not. She's still not believing it, even though the brother's like, I, 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 I saw the body. Look, I hated him, too. He's dead. But Cecilia knows better. So she tries a bunch of different things in order to try and catch him, right? What's cool is, uh, actually before that, she she goes back to the house and Sydney is is talking to her about, uh, talking to Cecilia about like, hey, you know, we can, you know, have a girls night thing tonight and kind of hang out. And then as she bends down, the invisible man hits her in the face but she didn't see it. She was looking down, so she thinks Cecilia did it because Cecilia's been, you know, all over the place and having her emotional ups and downs with everything because she's being tormented, but no one's believing her. So James is like, I'm getting my daughter out of here. I don't believe you. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? And just leaves her in the house. 
at this point, Cecilia's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that, the, that this is happening. He's here. Like, something is going on. She ends up dialing, I guess, his old number, and she hears his cell phone buzz. Because at first you hear a cell phone buzzing, but what's fun about this is the reveal of the answering machine message, or his voicemail message. And then you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, Adrian, Adrian's phone is in the house. Damn, okay. So she figures out that it's coming up from the attic. She goes up into the attic. She finds all sorts of stuff, pictures of her in bed. Like, obviously, someone is following her around and stalking her. This is real. This isn't in her head. It is happening. She knows that someone is there, especially when there's a text that says, surprise, and it came from a different number on to the phone she just found. So in the attic, there was a bunch of paint and a bunch of other stuff up there. You know, this didn't even seem like paint. It seemed more like watered down paint water or something because of the way that it, it didn't stick to things how you would expect it to, right? She takes this bucket, though, and she she is at the edge of the attic by the attic stairs. It's one of those pull-down um, attics. And she's looking, and you're, you know, everything looks normal. It just looks like you'd walk down the stairs. And she takes it, she pours it down the stairs... It stops right away. It hits a person right in front of her, inches away from her face. And it's this, the reveal of this suit is absolutely amazing. It's these, it's like these little, little uh, dots all over it. I mean, just kind of like little black dots all over this entire suit. And it really is just made up of like small cameras that are somehow projecting something or refer we don't even get an explanation on how this stuff works we don't even know how the technology works but it looks cool as hell and it's basically cameras covering every square inch of the body in this in this suit that you're able to i guess see through some sort of mesh screen inside of it or you know through one of the cameras or any of the cameras i guess it's it's so cool she she pours a uh, like the paint or paint water on them and then you're watching her try and get out, and she's she's following this uh, this trail through the house into the kitchen, and he ends up attacking her. Now, what's strange to me, I don't know if the suit makes him stronger or something, but he is able to lift her up by the throat with one arm. What you would, well, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's one arm, but it, you know, it's done in the traditional. Looks like one hand's around her throat, and he's. I don't think people are that strong. I don't think you can do that, right? Oh, maybe the suit does make him stronger because he can take a lot of hits in that thing too. Like there's, of course, granted you have those camera things on you, but even then, it, later in the movie when they short out, it takes it takes actual puncturing through the suit and and hitting some of the actual like wires in there to do any damage. And cause it to tweak out. Even a little bit. It doesn't damage the whole thing. Because it's not like he blew a pixel at that moment either. So this guy must be really good. This shit must be strong as hell. Because you can hit him with a ton of stuff. And none of those things break either. So that's impressive. So at this point she has. She's gotten out. She is able to. Like she escapes this attack. It's weird because she gets in a car. Which I'm guessing must be like an Uber or a Lyft or something. Because this guy makes the longest turn to get out of there. And then she ends up going to Adrian's house. All the way back there. And says, I might be two minutes, I might be 20. She explores through the house and goes down into the basement uh, where he had all these suits. And she goes to where there is the nothing thing there. She finds out something is there. 
it is another suit, another invisible suit, and she actually is able to unlock it, and you see it go from invisible to visible, and this is a really cool moment, because this is where you see the cameras, this is where you see how the suit works. Um, it's very, it's just so cool, man. Just the way that it, it's, it's believable in a very strange way. It's like in the way Ex Machina did some really awesome effect work on a very low budget, and this is the same type of thing. By the way, I should say that the budget for this movie is $7 million. This is a Universal and Blumhouse collaboration. I'm amazed that the budget is as low as it is. But then again, you know, this is a Lee Wan L film. If you've seen Upgrade, I think the budget for Upgrade was maybe three to five million. And he he's able to do a lot with a little. I remember this is the co-writer of Saw, uh, and he also starred in Saw. This is his third feature. So he did Insidious Chapter 3, Upgrade, and then this. I, I didn't see Insidious Chapter 3 yet. Upgrade, though, and same with this, it's a simple story. Really, at the end of the day, it's a simple story, but he does so much with so little. Like, he takes this simple story and he just weaves this amazingly complex narrative. And in this case, I mean, really a lot of emotional depth. In Upgrade, I mean, he did a lot with the um, high-concept sci-fi with a very low budget, and I was engaged the entire time. It was the same thing with this. It's very high concept, seven million for an Invisible Man film that's dealing with heavy-duty technology. That's that's a risky thing to do and still make it an entertaining film. And a lot of the time, like most of the, most of the film, you're getting nothing on camera. You're just following a camera around. You get really good music and it's building tension and it's lingering on things. And you're like, wait, is something actually there? Like there's a moment, and this is going back in the film earlier, where she walks outside after the door opens and Cecilia walks outside and she's standing out there and she's breathing and you can see her breath in the cold and then next to her and she doesn't see it. You see that like crystallized breath, like mist breath pop out there, the cold breath. And it was just awesome, like seeing that happen. And it's just this subtle moment. And it's not really about jump scares in this either. I mean, the moment with the paint thing is kind of, it's, it's a shock, but it's not like this thing's jumping in your face. It's, it's there. It's a reveal shock, which I guess is still a jump scare. But it's, to me, it's different than like, I open a closet and a cat pops out, you know? There was a reason for it, and I, I felt that, you know, those type of, I guess, jump scares are effective. I'll call them reveal scares. So she has the suit. She goes into the master bedroom or master bathroom. She hides the suit in the wall, like part of the wall. And she's going to leave. She knows that someone's in the house. She's like, has to be Adrian. He has to be here. And so as she is, she stands up against the edge of the closet or the, I think it's the closet walking closet thing. And when there's a step, she can see someone has stepped on the carpet and that's when she, you know, attacks and tries to get out and she escapes. She's able to get out. She, this guy has waited. She gets in the car. She, she goes, she calls her sister and she's like, look, we need to talk. Let's meet in a restaurant. Now, before this happened, even, uh, she had tried to talk to her sister and her sister, like just laid into her heavily and was like, I can't believe you, you would say this terrible stuff to me. Like, you know, you wrote me this email and it was absolutely awful. And she's like, I never wrote you an email. And she's like, look, yeah, you know, just if you don't want me in your life, I'm not going to be in your life anymore. Cecilia is super confused about this. And she's like, I didn't send it. Adrian sent it. He had to have sent it. He had to have sent it. And she's like, yeah, okay, bullshit. I don't fucking believe you. And when she does go home and checks her computer, haha, it came from her email. So that means someone in the house, wrote that, 
sent it out. So basically, at this point, it seems like Adrian is trying to just ruin her life. Just completely destroy her life. And make it where, you know, he's either she's either going to come back or he's going to kill her. Because one of the major things in this is, like, she wanted to... He wanted to have kids with her and she didn't want to have kids with him because she'd be trapped with him forever. And he was always trying to, you know, he wanted to have children, he wanted to have children. She's like, no, 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 and she stopped taking her birth control pills. Now, later on, we find out that that's not the case, but before we even get to there, she finally is able to to meet up with her sister. Her sister meets her at this restaurant, and she tells her everything. They're in a public place, right? She's like, I have to be safe here. This is perfect. I am going to tell her everything. Adrian is alive. I went to his lab. I found this suit. And I can prove to you that he is doing this and he is still alive. And it's at that moment that the sister looks up and this knife that was knocked over earlier in the movie and then picked up and put somewhere. And then a, you know, in the kitchen of the house earlier and then like a fire is started basically, turns up the burner so everything starts uh, smoking. So they don't realize the knife is gone, you know? It's kind of like you're so focused on one thing. It's like pulling a magic trick, you know? It's like you're so focused on one thing that you're not seeing uh, the sleight of hand that's happening. And that's pretty much what happened in this case because... As the sister looks up at the knife, it whips across her throat and goes right into Cecilia's hand. Everyone's at this restaurant, someone turns around and they see this woman who's bleeding out on the table with a slit throat and another woman with a knife in her hand. Boom, right there. Looks like she just murdered her sister. We're an hour into the movie, right? I think we're about an hour into the movie. And it's like, oh fuck, this is like the big oh fuck moment where you're like, well, no one is safe now, and you're not safe in the light, you're not safe in public, you're not safe anywhere. This guy can find you, obviously, no matter what you do, and he will not leave you alone. She's immediately arrested and is put into a ment- mental hospital, and they find out that she's pregnant. And then Tom shows up there, uh, you know, Adrian's lawyer brother, and we get this reveal. that Tom says, you know, I can make all of this go away, but you have to do one thing. He, like, gets close up to her and he's like, you have to keep the baby and go back to him. Raise the child. Go back. So now you're like, wait a second. Tom helped him to stage his brother's death. So then he also reveals that Adrian knew about the whole birth control thing and was tampering with it again so that she would get pregnant. So... Cecilia's like, fuck your offer, I'm not going to take that, knocks some shit on the ground, and ends up stealing a pen out of uh, Tom's uh, briefcase. So then she's in her cell that night, she's like, fuck it, I can't deal with this shit anymore. She's like, you're not going to get me, you're not going to get me, because she's seeing him everywhere, even though we don't see him. She knows that he's there, and she's talking to him, even if she is not 100% sure that he's there, she's 100% sure he's there. She knows how far he'll go. And she's the only one who seems to. She basically is like, I'm going to kill myself. She takes this pen. She stabs herself in the wrist with it and starts dragging it down. And then right at this point, something grabs her arm. And her response is great. It's something like, there you are. And just starts stabbing him over and over with this pen. And it's malfunctioning the suit. And it's going, you know, all over the place. Security hears this opens the door, 
I think she's telling him, don't do it, don't open the door, and he does anyway. And he just basically just gets attacked. Like, everybody in, every security officer in this place gets attacked. They either get shot, knocked out, stabbed, whatever. Um, But they get the shit kicked out of them by the Invisible Man. But not everybody is getting killed. People are getting knocked out, or, you know, some are getting shot. Some, actually, one guy does get shot as as, uh, the Invisible Man's walking away. He had the gun up to the person's head, says, bang doesn't actually pull the trigger, and as he's walking away, shoots him in the back. He just puts the gun out and shoots him. It's it's a pretty cool scene. Sometimes he's knocking people out, sometimes he's killing them, sometimes he's incapacitating them. It's very strange, the, the methods of why this person is acting the way that they're acting, because sometimes it seems like they're totally willing to kill without remorse. And then other times it seems like they're hesitant to kill, which we'll get to. So Cecilia has been able to escape and is going to run back or gets back to James's house because the figure is like, I'm going to kill every single person that you know. I'm going to he's like, I'm going to kill every person you love. He's like, I'm not going to kill you. He's like, why would I do that? I'm going to go after everyone else. What would be the point of going after you? She knows he's going to go after James and Sydney, and then anybody else who she cares about at all. So she ends up going back to the house. She finds that, uh, you know, the Invisible Man is attacking him or attacking James and attacking Sydney. She ends up shooting him about four times. And we find out that it's Tom in the suit. So people go to Adrian's house. The police end up actually raiding Adrian's house and they find him alive. And he claimed that Tom had held him prisoner because he had been jealous of everything, uh, you know, his wealth and, and all of that and his success. And it finally snapped, uh, had kidnapped. I mean, it was, it was very strange. Now, Cecilia swears that, you know, they both were in and out of the suit because now that he's been stabbed, he's blinking in and out, which is cool to watch. Like, so like during that fight scene at the hospital, you're watching as, People think that Cecilia has just gone crazy and and killing people. Before these people get the shit kicked out of them, the guards are seeing this character, you know, this invisible man flicker into existence in this strange suit. And they're like, what the fuck? Goes out and flickers out or, you know, out of existence again. Or out of sight, right? Flickers out of sight and then kicks the shit out of them. It's fucking great. So then, you know, we get to the police storming the house. They find Adrian. They find him alive. Cecilia's like, no. They did this together um, and said, Adrian sent Tom here because he knew Tom would get killed and this is the perfect way to get me back and this is the perfect plan. She wants to get a confession from him, so she decides to wear a wire and James is going to listen in. She agrees that, you know, we can work on this relationship, but you have to confess what you did and that you were this guy. And Adrian's like, no, I wasn't. I was, I was a victim. And it's changed my outlook on life and how I treated you because it made me understand what I was doing to you in a way. He's like, I want to be different. Now, when she gets upset, Adrian says some similar things that the figure said. She knows at this point that Adrian's lying through his fucking teeth and that Adrian killed her sister. Also in the way of just the violence, it seemed like certain things you knew Adrian was doing because they were extreme in their nature. But other things, when you realize that it was Tom, it's like, okay. Some of that violence was kind of like, maybe he didn't want to shoot the guy in the head, but he'll shoot him in the back as he's walking away because he's not looking that person in the eyes because he's not a killer. 
That's not who he really is. You know, it's something where he's manipulated by his brother again and controlled doing exactly what his brother's telling him to do because he knows if he doesn't, he'll kill him. And well, he kills him anyway, essentially. So Cecilia says she, you know, she's got to go to the bathroom. She walks out. Adrian is, is sitting there and you see like the way that the security camera just is on him. And then as Adrian's sitting there, his knife in his hand is pulled up to his throat and just pulled right across and slits his throat right open. Blood pours everywhere. And moments later, Cecilia comes out of the bathroom, sees it, screams. Make sure she's in camera for that part. Backs out of camera, pretty much just says to him, surprise. And it's such a perfect callback to the text moment. It's so great. And that, I mean, really, like, the throat slit, when you look at his throat, it's this massive cut through. It is absolutely nasty. Absolutely nasty looking. And she just watches him bleed out. And James, he's in the truck hearing this stuff, or in the van. He runs up to the house. Cecilia is walking out and is like, yeah, he's, he's dead. He killed himself. I can't believe he did it. I, I just went to the bathroom and he just he just did this. And that... He looks down and sees that same suit in her bag. James just lets her go. And what's great about this is you see Cecilia for the first time in this film. For the first time, you see her smile. That's like a moment of true happiness. That's a moment of relief. That's a moment of knowing that this person is not going to keep coming after her. She's purged herself of these demons. Maybe not forever, you know, because there's the emotional scars and the stuff that comes after, right? And getting past that. But she dealt with her demons head on. And she actually became him in order to exact her revenge. I think it was super fitting. Because this guy tries to play the victim, right? And she's like, well, if you want to play the victim, then you're going to be the victim. Because you weren't, you don't play when it comes to that type of stuff. But that's what he was doing because he's a master manipulator. Except she outthought him. Now, what's great about this film is that it's a very low budget, right? As I said, $7 million. Worldwide, it's done about $135 million. And this is during the time of COVID, right? So this came out, had about a month in theaters or so, and then boom, COVID strikes. And it did really well still. I mean, I think that's, you know, a test to the fact that this, or a testament to the fact that this is just a well-made film. It, it doesn't do the traditional Hollywood tropes of over-explaining every little thing to you. I think that helps it. I mean, that really, really helps it because if they just kind of spoon-fed me every little thing in this, no. And the fact they didn't go the PG-13 route, I really appreciate that as well. And they easily could have. Universal's notorious for that. They've done one other R-rated Universal monster film, and that was 2010's The Wolfman, Benicio Del Toro. That didn't go over so well. So I'm glad they took a chance on this, and I'm glad that Lee Wanell was able to make something that was this effective. I mean, this is a super effective thriller. Very, very cool take on the Invisible Man story. Because even as, as a character, Adrian is an invisible man to us. We don't know anything about him except what we hear. We see him sleeping in the beginning. The next time we actually see, see him, he's being pulled out of a... Uh, of like the, the cellar or basement area where he's been held captive. And we see him at the end where he talks briefly and we're like, wow, this guy's a dick. But everything else is what we hear. And we've seen, okay, we see him in the beginning when he's running up to the car, but it's such a brief moment. We don't know who this guy is, but we know who he is. 
And I like that a lot. His very few lines in this film. You don't even hear him say anything until I think the the voice message stuff, or, or no, he's yelling at her to come back, but you don't get a really good listen to the voice until that moment. And then the next time he actually says something to her, it's like you hear him say something while he's invisible. And it's like one line. It works. It shouldn't. But in this case, because of the way this isn't, it's not an overstuffed plot. We're not focusing on how it's done. Really, they never explain how it's done. They're just like, this guy's an optics engineer. He's really, really good. That's it. That's all they tell you. They don't tell you how the suit works, what exactly is going on with these things. Are they, I mean, we think they're cameras. It looks like little lenses on there. Are they, you know, how many cameras are on that thing? Is it just a few or is it cameras everywhere that are refracting stuff? Like, is it just mirrors that are doing it? I don't know. Doesn't really matter, though. If they tried to explain it, if he took the time to try and explain every little thing for it, you wouldn't have time for the emotional depth, character development. This movie's two hours and four minutes, all right? If you focused and put all of that jargon expository bullshit in there, you're dealing with a half hour of extra time. You would, take a, you would take a half hour of that quality acting and great pacing and plot line, and then you, would, you, you wouldn't be able to understand how he got from point A to point B. You wouldn't, it, her, Elizabeth Moss's portrayal and her, her performance would just be muted so much. We needed to build that relationship with the sister to have it taken away. We needed to build that relationship uh, with her friend James. We needed that relationship built with Sydney. It got, we got a lot in there. Even, even you know, Adrian's brother Tom, small role, but there's a lot told in that small role because the time is given to him. Just a couple of scenes, but it's enough that, you know, if you were to do this in a film where everything is just exposition, he might be, you would have maybe a couple of lines total. Not even, like, as much as he had, but, like, three or four lines, and it's like, oh, he was this per okay. Who, who is this guy again? And it would just be thrown together, and it would be a bloated mess. This was anything but a bloated mess. This was a very well-paced, well-put-together film, very gritty in its, in its style and presentation. At least that's kind of the way it feels. It's very dark. Even in the light, it has this, this uh, it's almost like a, a mood, you know, more than anything. It's this mood, it's this atmosphere. It's kind of like the weight of everything that, that Cecilia is dealing with is put upon the audience in the way that, that everything looks. I think that works as, works really well, too. I think it's super effective. Um, but yeah, overall, man, this movie, this is solid. I, I really am excited to see what else Lee Wan L does. Apparently, he's up to do uh, another Wolfman film. So hopefully they can get this, <laughs> the Universal Dark Universe. Remember when they tried that with The Mummy? With Tom Cruise? That was a mess, man. That was a mess. I'm really glad that they did a course correction on this. Because that was a ton of money wasted for that Mummy reboot. But in this case, this was $7 million extremely well spent. Uh, yeah, this is a big recommend for me. I think for a mainstream horror film, this one really hit it out of the park. This definitely has more of an indie horror feel to it. I've really, really enjoyed it. And hopefully we get more films that are like this, that are, that are made with a smaller scope. Uh, high concept, smaller scale films. I think it would be effective. I think this is a prime example of you can make really good, low-budget, R-rated horror, mature themes, 
dealing with PTSD, dealing with, with abuse and, and just being in toxic relationships and not being able to escape. And it's taking all of those things that you get in a horror movie and it's real life, man. It's real life and a horror movie being just blended together. And that's why I think it's, it resonates so much with people. Anyway, that's just what I think of this film. But yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, if you like this podcast, make sure to, you know, tell your friends, share it out with people. And, you know, you can find me on pretty much Oh The Horror. The name exists, but I have everything under Holmes Invasion right now since it's just me. Um, so pretty much everything is going through my own. So it's all at Holmes Invasion. Uh, you can email me at theholmesinvasion at gmail.com. And yeah, you can find us over at Podbean, um, homesinvasion.podbean.com. But the podcast is still Oh The Horror. I think I might actually keep it that way. Maybe do my own little spinoff of something else down the road. We'll see. That'll do it for us this week. I'm Rob Holmes, and this has been Oh The Horror. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. There's no more room in hell. The dead. Are-